Amen. And before you are seated, if you have a Bible on the phone or on a copy of God's Word, if you just remain standing, if you are able, turn to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And as um, we are doing that, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed for Children's Church with uh, Miss Diana this morning. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, Matthew records this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for remaining standing. Thank you, worship team, for leading us and for the privilege that we've had to already enter into worship together. Another way that we Uh, enter into worship is by gathering around the Word of God and expecting that He will speak to our hearts. This morning, we start a new uh, short three-week series on this next section of the book of Matthew. Uh, We're titling it Kingdom Mission. We finished talking about the The fact that Jesus is different in all the different ways. We saw the ways that Jesus is different. But today we start looking at the priorities of Jesus when it comes to kingdom mission. Because the next two weeks we will look at how we join in mission because Jesus sends out his disciples. And the commission that he gives to them is the commission he gives to us. And so to know how to do it, we see first it demonstrated by Jesus and the priorities that he had. So today we look at the priorities of Jesus. Sermon notes are in your bulletin. There'll be uh, fill-ins and more notes on the screen if you are a note taker. So as we begin, looking at the priorities of Jesus in kingdom ministry, I want you to play along with me for a moment. And as you are able... I stress, as you are able on this, take a deep breath in and hold it either until I tell you or you cannot do it anymore, okay? I don't want anybody having bad episodes here, okay? So, deep breath in. Ready? Go. All right, everyone exhale. Okay. Now, what happens if you were to do that and not exhale? Well, I am not a doctor, nor did I stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. All right, bad joke, you know. You've seen those commercials, right? Where, hey, what do you do with this? And the guy gives it, Uh, answer on how to, he runs into the situation to fix the situation. Are you a doctor? No, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, okay? All right, catch up, catch up, come on, come on. All right, so what happens if you don't exhale? Well, your heart will likely begin to beat irregularly, 
which, if done long enough, can bring damage to organs such as your liver and your kidneys. Also, if you would not have exhaled, carbon dioxide would build up in your system, which could cause you to have a seizure, to faint, or if done long enough, could damage your brain. Aren't you glad that I didn't let you go that long? All right, now, let's do something different. Play along with me one more time. Take, the, take a deep breath in and exhale for as long as you can. Ready, set, go. Deep breath in, exhale it out. Keep going, keep going. All right, stop. Now, what would happen if you exhaled too much? What would happen if you just kept blowing and blowing and blowing and blowing, exhaling out? Well, you would begin likely to hyperventilate and you could begin to get dizzy, lightheaded, weak, confused. You may even have numbness in your face or your arms due to a lack of the opposite of the buildup. Due to a lack, before you would have too much carbon dioxide, now you would have a lack of carbon dioxide. And so if you hold your breath too long, or you exhale too long, it's going to have adverse effects for you both ways. It's why we need balance, natural inhale and exhale in our breathing. It's the way God has designed our bodies to work. Why do I have you do that breathing exercise this morning? Well, because just like breathing, there is a natural flow that accompanies life in the river of Christ's presence. That flow of living in the river of his presence, which last week Isabel explained to us that the tool that is coming down from the cross and out to the altars into the sanctuary is representative of the river of Christ's presence where we want to live in the river of Christ's presence. But just like in breathing, living in his presence requires there to be an outflow requires there to be in a way to get out what has been poured in, and that is mission. You see, if we live only in the river of Christ's presence, we will, as strange as it may sound, we will become oversaturated with the presence of the Lord to the point that we will get stuck there and not be able to receive more. There has to be an outflow of what we are living in has to flow out. We can't just say, God, keep pouring, keep pouring, keep pouring, keep pouring, keep pouring. That is living in a sense without exhaling. But on the converse, and sometimes this is what we do, we want to be people of mission. We want to be on mission. We are the Christian and fill in the blank missionary alliance and so we want to be missionary people we want to be on mission but what can happen is we can be so on mission that we're blowing out blowing out blowing out blowing out and before you know it we become dizzy and lightheaded and numb and all these things and we might even find ourselves passing out because we have not had the inflow of the presence of the Lord we have not lived in the river of his presence 
And so we've been talking about in these last weeks about living in the river of Christ's presence. But there comes a point, and we live in that river, but there comes a point where there has to be outflow. And we don't want to be people who just are running out, doing, 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 serving, 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 on mission, on mission, on mission, without the presence, but we don't want to be people who just live in the presence without missional outflow. Both need to take place. And so this passage comes at a perfect time for where we're at. A reminder that we don't say, oh, now we just, we've done the presence, we move on. No, we've lived in his, we're living in his presence, seeking to understand that more. Now we need to be reminded to go and be on mission. But at the same time, we always have to come back to the river. The two go hand in hand. They cannot function like breathing, inhale and exhale. They cannot function without each other. So this morning, as we focus on the mission side as a result of living in the river of his presence, we want to look at what Jesus did, the priorities that he had. Three priorities this morning and then some ways that we might begin to respond as we enter into this short series on kingdom mission. Three priorities. First priority is this. We want to look at Jesus' mission priority. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus did three things. His mission priority was threefold. One, there was teaching. He taught in the synagogues of each small town and village. Think of these synagogues as local churches. You had the temple in Jerusalem where the people of God would come every year to worship, to offer sacrifices. The Psalms have the songs of ascent as they would come up to Jerusalem. They would sing these as they would gather together for feasts and festivals and as they come for the day of atonement. All these things in the Jewish calendar, they would come to the temple where the presence of the Lord was, the Ark of the Covenant was. But throughout the weeks, they would go to the local synagogues. They would go to local church. <laughs> they would come together. They would have the reading of the Torah. They would have the rabbis who, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They would read and they would explain these things. And so Jesus took advantage of these things. He lived in the regular rhythm of being in synagogue, of being in church, so to speak. And he took these opportunities to teach and to explain the kingdom of God to be able to help them to understand the new that he was bringing from the scriptures more in depth. He would have taken time to be able to talk, to, to be able to debate, to be able to answer questions. It would have been an interactive kind of thing. It wouldn't have just been him all the time standing up there and talking. There would have been opportunity for them to say, well, what about this? Explain this. Help us understand this. He taught as he gathered in the synagogues from town to town and village to village. He also did something else. His mission priority, he would preach as well. Teaching and preaching are two different things. Teaching is explaining. Preaching is declaring. He would declare the good news of the kingdom. He came to declare that the rule and the reign of God had come with his arrival. He came to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is near at hand. I am here. The kingdom is here. He came to declare that there is a way to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and be brought into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. He came to declare that citizenship could change, that life transformation could change. He called people to repentance 
to leave their old way and to follow the new way of King Jesus. He declared the good news, the kingdom has come. He taught, he preached, but then he also ministered. We're told that he healed every disease and sickness. Not only did he teach about the kingdom and preach about the kingdom, but he demonstrated the kingdom by ministering it. Last week we talked about he wasn't just one who talked the talk about the kingdom. He was one who walked the walk. He demonstrated. He met people. He ministered to them. And so in the kingdom of God, as he would teach about it and preach about it, he would declare the new that was coming, the rule and reign of God coming to earth. But let me ask you, in the kingdom of God, is there sickness and disease? All right, let me try it again. In the kingdom of God, is there sickness and disease? No. So Jesus would demonstrate that this is what the kingdom looks like. I'm talking to you. I'm teaching you about it. I'm preaching about it. Let me show you what the kingdom is like. When the rule and reign of God comes, what is broken, sickness and disease will be no more. In the kingdom of God, is there deliverance or is there demonic influence? No. In the kingdom of God, is there injustice? No. In the kingdom of God, is there poverty and brokenness? Is there any of these things that rule this day's world? No. And so Jesus would not just talk about the kingdom. He would demonstrate the kingdom. The first fruits of what the rule and reign of God looked like would break in. And so Jesus made this mission a priority. As he spent time, and we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus going and spending time with his Father. As he spent time with his Father, as he was empowered by the Spirit, Jesus made mission a priority of his time on earth. Inhale and exhale. Second priority that we see of Jesus. We see Jesus' emotion priority. Jesus' emotion priority. Verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew describes Jesus in the midst of mission, looking at the crowds and having compassion on them. He sees their harassed and helpless state. This idea of compassion and this emotion priority, though, is not pity. Jesus did not have pity on the people. Pity and compassion are two separate things, drastically different things. Pity is to look at someone or look at a situation and feel bad about it. Oh, isn't that terrible? Oh, isn't that sad? Seeing someone in a place that is hard, that is difficult, that is harassing, and to look at it and say, oh, that's too bad. But then to walk on unaffected by it. Whether it is because maybe there isn't something that you want to do in the moment, or maybe you feel like I don't have the capacity to do anything about it, and so you feel bad about it, but you just move on. How many times 
Have you watched TV and here comes the ad for feeding the children or St. Jude's Hospital and they show these stories, they show these, these impoverished, malnutrition-affected children or they show the children in St. Jude's and they say, for X amount a day or for X amount a month, you can bring this child or you can bring healing and help to this person. And we look at it and you go, oh, that's bad. But you go on with your day. That's, that's pity. I feel bad for that situation. But Jesus, in this emotion priority, he did not have just pity. He brought himself into the place where he allowed himself to feel the pain. How do I know that? Matthew says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The term for compassion, the word for compassion in the, in the original language as Jesus's uh, followers would have read about this from Matthew means to literally be so affected so deeply that it makes you sick to your stomach. That you see the suffering and the helplessness and the pain of the people around you and it brings you to the place where you feel like you are going to vomit. It is so harsh, so desperate. Many times we don't allow ourselves to get to that point. If we always lived in that point, we would be in just so much disarray all the time. We may not be able to function. But Jesus in this situation allows himself to feel the helplessness, the pain. It moves him to compassion. It moves him to the place where he is affected by their suffering. I remember being in Germany when I was in college using baseball as a way to do missions. And as I was there, we would hang out. The team had a, a pub. It was the way they funded their team. So people would come from the town and they'd hang out all night in this pub. And so that was the place where all the guys were, all the families were. So that's where we would stay. And oftentimes we'd be there till everyone was leaving, just building relationships with all of them there in that space. And one night, as we were leaving, everyone was leaving. And one of the players, they had an adult team and a youth team. One of the players was 16 years old. And his dad was an alcoholic. And this night, as we left, this 16-year-old and his dad were in the middle of the driveway into this, this bar. And his dad was had staggered and had fallen down in the middle of the road right there. Cars around, no one can leave because he's just down, unable to get up. And who is there but his 16-year-old son? And you could see just the shame. You could see the despair. You, you could see how difficult it was. No 16-year-old should be trying to help their drunk father get home at night. But this was the state of this father and the position that it put this young 16-year-old boy in. And I always remember that because it was so stark to see the situation in front that it brought me to that place where I just, I didn't, I, I felt sick. 
Not often am I there, but that was one of those places where it was the compassion of God. And I understood maybe for the first time in my life what Jesus was feeling, compassion, seeing the helplessness of the situation, seeing the helplessness of this family. Jesus did not just have pity, he felt the pain and it then moved him to action. It moved him to action. He did something about it. He ministered to the people throughout the Gospels. He ministers to the people. For those sick, he heals. For those with leprosy, he cleanses. For those afflicted, he delivers. For those mired in sin, he forgives. Compassion moves to action. This is who Jesus is. Not just one who looks at our situations and says, oh, isn't that too bad, and moves on. But who is deeply affected. And in the midst of his mission, the priority of emotion moves him to compassion. He feels it and he does something about it. This was his priority. But Jesus didn't want this priority just to be contained to him. It just wasn't about his mission. It wasn't about his emotion priority. It was always about what he was doing, but also what he was seeking to multiply in others. We see that in the third and final priority, and that is the priority of his vision. Verses 37 to 38 says, And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, when Jesus sees all of this teaching, compassion, ministry. He sees it not as despair. He sees it as opportunity. (laughs) He sees it as a plentiful harvest. He compares it, this mass of humanity that is ready to enter the kingdom of God. As a wheat field, most likely, he often used wheat fields when it came to harvest. As a wheat field, plentifully, filled and ready to be harvested. This is how Jesus sees it. And he says, many are ready to enter the kingdom. You know, as we were worshiping this morning, I just felt like what God was doing was allowing us to see his vision, to see his hopefulness, to see his optimism. So often, I believe we get stuck in this pessimistic kind of view. We, we get stuck in this view that, oh, the world is just evil, and the world is, no one wants God, and, 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 and this world is hopeless. There is no hope for the world, and no one wants to be a follower of Jesus. And we get these feelings sometimes, these pessimistic views but I don't think that's the view of Jesus. Because if we take Jesus' word at what he says, it should be a much different view. We should not be looking at it. No one wants to go to church. No one wants Jesus. The world's just evil. There is no hope. We're just running this thing right into the ground. There is no hope for the future. Ultimately, all of these things are reality, aren't there? There are things where people are opposed to the Lord, where where there is evil in the world, 
We prayed about it this morning. We interceded because there are these brokenness. But sometimes we can just get there, oh, Lord, there's just so much difficulty, so much brokenness, so much evil. But I don't think that's the perspective of Jesus. I think if we really take him at his word, he says this, in the midst of a world where there is just so many people who are, are harassed and helpless, there is a harvest out there. There are people who are ready, who are ready to come to me, he says. I wonder how often is that the narrative that we preach to ourselves? <laughs> Do we see our community? Do we see our families? Do we see our state? Do we see our country? Do we see our world as a place where there is a harvest that is ready? That there are people who want to hear the good news of the kingdom. What would happen if we really believed that assessment? What would happen if we lived our lives every day and we went into prayer time every day and we went into opportunities saying, Lord, there are people ready We believe. Lord, help our unbelief. And so Jesus says there is this plentiful harvest, but the problem is not the harvest. The problem is that there aren't enough workers for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do you feel the heart of Jesus in this? He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. He sees the people, he is moved with deep compassion. They're helpless, they're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And he sees it, he's like, guys, don't you see it? They're ready, they're open. There's a harvest of people, but... No one is there to go and to tell them and to bring them in. This is not just Jesus making some fact statement. Harvest is plentiful, workers are few. No, as he is saying this, he is moved with, he is at the point of feeling physically sick. Full of compassion. Guys, The field is ready, but there's no one to go and bring it in. The workers are few. This is his vision. He sees it, but he sees the lack of workers. And so he says in verse 36, ask the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus tells us, he tells them, he tells us today to ask the Lord of the harvest, our heavenly father, to send out workers into the harvest field. 
You know, ultimately there is a prince of this world who has been given rulership for a time after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. But ultimately the one whose name is on the deed to the earth is the Lord. So the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so everything that we see in this world, in this harvest field, it's the Lord's harvest field. It's not the enemy's harvest field. It's the Lord's harvest field. And so he has the right, he has the deed to be able to say, I will send my workers into my harvest field. Ask, Jesus says, the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. So as we seek to live in the river of Christ's presence, may we also let Jesus' vision shape ours. Especially here at the beginning of this, of these couple messages on kingdom vision or kingdom mission, may the vision of Jesus begin to be our vision. Let us ask that workers would be sent to our neighborhoods and to the nations. And so let me just talk about three quick things and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Sometimes when we ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field, we think, Lord, Raise some other workers up. Get them out there. Do you all realize that when we pray that prayer, we should also be praying, Lord, raise me up. As I raise up, ask you to raise up workers to be sent into the harvest field, Lord, I'm, there's a harvest field right outside of our doors. There's a harvest field that you likely are going into on a regular basis. Lord, would you give me eyes to see your harvest field? The next two weeks, we'll see how Jesus did ministry, how he sent him out, his disciples out. May we be people who are ready. Lord, what are you doing around me? How can I be one who is sent into the harvest? What are you doing? We're there. So as you're praying for workers to be sent, recognize he is sending you. We'll see that in the next two weeks. As you pray for workers to be sent out into the harvest field, would you also pray for those of the next generation that have already been brought here? That there would be workers, and it may be you, that would be part of investing in the workers that he is going to be sending out from this rising generation. We have over 15 children in our children's ministry. We have over 15 youth that come various places in our youth ministry. That is a rising generation. That's not even talking about those in their 20s and 30s. There's a rising generation right here. But they need people to come around and to take ownership and to say, these are ones that are here, that are being sent out, will be sent out into the harvest field. What can we do collectively as a family? What can I do? We're so grateful for the way the Lord is raising up more workers in the children's ministry. But there is always opportunity. It's not just, oh, the kids are down there. This is investment into the next rising generation. But youth ministry would be a huge area that the Lord may be working and putting on hearts to be a part of, specifically in the area of men.
to speak into and to invest in the lives of young men who the Lord is raising up, who is bringing here. We need people to say there are, there's a rising generation that loves the Lord, that God has plans and purposes for. How can we as a church family, how can I be a part of raising that group up? And so if the Lord is stirring any of those things, we'd love to talk with you about that. There's one last area I want to talk about when it comes to this harvest field. And that is that Dorseyville has had a history where new workers can be raised up. There's been a number of international worker couples who have been sent out overseas, but also youth pastors, pastors who have been raised up to go to the nations and to the neighborhoods as well. And a number of years ago, really felt like the Lord was saying that vision needs to be recaptured again to be a place where the next generation, new workers to be sent to the harvest field can be raised up. And so we have been so blessed to have Leah and Mara on staff as a specific outflow of that. And we have been blessed by that, haven't we? By both of them. Yeah, we can clap for that, yeah. And so you may have been aware, but Mara Marsh is no longer Mara Marsh. This summer, she became Mara Howe. And so she and Derek were married this summer. And um, that kind of brought this whole thing of, okay, Mara's been here to do what the Alliance calls the ALME, the Alliance Licensed Ministry Experience, preparing before she would go overseas. And then she meets this guy named Derek. Praise the Lord for that. I know she's excited about it. <laughs> so they get married. And so now we're, we're here and the elders and the board have prayed about this. And they're like, okay, the Lord has brought them together. And they have a call in their life together. So what do we do with that? Do we say, good luck, Mara? No. <laughs> no. We felt the Lord say, offer to Derek the opportunity for him to come and to join Mara and to join the Dorseyville family. And we are excited that in January, he will be doing that. And so they will be sharing this full-time position together to do their ALMEs together in preparation for the Lord sending them wherever he has in store. So that will be coming, and you'll get to know him more and more as that develops but it will be starting in January. You may have read that in the annual report, but if, if you hadn't, that's news for all of us to celebrate. So can I just encourage us that we want to be a place where we see the vision of Jesus taking place, that workers are sent. Who are the workers? I am, you are, sent to the harvest field. But to have these unique opportunities where those who are being called of the Lord to go in specific ways, whether church planting or in ministry or overseas, have space to do ministry and to be raised up and sent out. We want to be a family like that. Amen? A grace-filled, life-giving, encouraging family that says, we want to be a part of what God is doing in your life as workers are raised up for the harvest field. So 
may we join in the priority of Jesus in that way. Again, these next two weeks, we will look at how Jesus sent his disciples out because that is how he is sending us out. But today, these priorities, mission priority, emotion priority, and vision priority. As we live in the river of his presence in deepening ways, may we be people who don't just live there, but who are sent out to join him in mission. I want to just pray blessing over what God is doing in those areas and ask him to do more for his glory, and then we will take communion together today. Oh, Jesus, we are grateful that you have come to seek and to save the lost. We're grateful that you have done that work in lives here today. And we're grateful that you invite us into that. And so, Jesus, we just observe and celebrate the ways that you did ministry, your mission priorities, your emotion priorities, and your vision priorities. And we say, Jesus, would you teach us to be like you? And Jesus, would you arrest our hearts more and more with the vision that you have? not just for our church, but for the way your kingdom works. That there is a harvest that is plentiful out there. Would you give us eyes to see it the way you see it? That you would give us optimistic vision. That you are at work. That you are drawing people to yourself. And Lord, would you give us willing, obedient hearts as well to say yes. We will be ones who will be workers in your harvest field. And we will be ones who will support and encourage and celebrate and make possible those who are, you are raising up in specific ways to be workers in your harvest field. So we celebrate those things. We rejoice. As we sang, there's joy in the house of the Lord. These things bring joy to our hearts. We are grateful that we get to be a part of this. We bless that work as we live in the river of your presence. And Lord, may the missional outflow of your presence be more than we could ever begin to ask or hope or imagine for. That in this way, that your kingdom will come and your will done here on this earth more and more as it is in heaven. We honor you, Jesus. We stand in awe of the ways that you moved and worked in your time here and the fact that you are still at work today. You move amongst us and we welcome it. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.